by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Just like many of you are here today at the Passion Church, you're excited about seeing what God is building. You're excited to see the growth in the church. You're excited to see lives changed. Man, that makes you excited. And the people got excited. They repented of their sins. They began to assemble like we're doing right here. They began to get together and have church, so to speak. They read God's word. They worshiped. And they began to dream again. Because sometimes you can just be in going through the motions mode but these were people when they began to see God's work at hand and they began to do God's work it stirred them and they began to dream again and align their dreams with God's dreams and God's plans they began to see the importance of what God is doing on the earth again and they made vows to the Lord and the joy of his lordship was their strength and it'll be your strength as well when you allow him to lead and guide your life it gives you a sense of peace that the world doesn't understand. He said, the peace I give you, the world don't, don't give you like that. You can't have that kind of peace. The only peace like that is knowing that you're doing right with God. And that, that creates a joy in you that will be your strength when the hard times come. Because believe me, the hard times are coming for everybody. But the joy of his lordship became their strength. And in Nehemiah 10.39, they said, we promise together not to neglect the temple of God. And you see, all through the book of Nehemiah, the wall was important, but the temple was also important. The wall around your life, to get your life back straight, to, to turn your life over to Jesus, and to put a wall so that the enemy can no longer get in your life, around your life, is important. But to keep those walls in order and have something worth keeping inside the walls, you can't neglect the temple that God is building. Not just the temple of your life, but the temple which he calls today in the New Testament, the church. And I'm a firm believer that God works through the church. He said, I will build my church. Not that I'm going to have a whole bunch of lone rangers out there that watch church on TV and don't assemble together and don't do anything together because we're stronger as one when we come together. Church is an important thing. They said, we promise together not to neglect the temple of our God. And so, Sometime later, they had a dedication of the walls. You know, like if you, if you get a new church or something, you have a grand opening or whatever, a dedication of the church. They had a dedication of the, of the Jerusalem's walls. And in Nehemiah 12, 43, let's go ahead and turn there because we're going to be in Nehemiah again. 
I would say you'll probably be happy to know that I think this is the end of this series, but it's been so good, I'm not sure. You might like want to stay here some more. Might go back through it again. It's been a great book, hasn't it? Nehemiah 12, 43 says, Many sacrifices were offered on that joyous day. For God had given the people cause for great joy. The women and the children also participated in the celebration. And the joy of the people of Jerusalem could be heard far away. Oh, I love when we have church like that. When we shout, praise the Lord so loud that over there at the wig shop, you know, their wigs are blowing back. And stuff. I love it when over Taco Bell has a call to tell us to cut it down over here. They could be heard far away, shouting their praise unto God. In fact, it's, it reminded me of the days of King David. They had two choirs coming from both ends, and they were converging to the temple and singing praise as they came. They all gathered at the temple and had a big time. You know, it's easy to have a lot of joy in your life when the things of God are fresh. Do you remember the joy of your salvation? You remember when you first felt God come into your life and you felt, hey, God, there's a, there is a God and he cares about me. And he died on the cross to take away my sins and that was overwhelming. I hope you felt that way. If you just, uh, yeah, well, I heard that in church. You ain't got it yet, brother. You ain't got it. You, you don't understand how it felt for me to live 32 years under the, the thumb of Satan to be released and to know that now I will live forever away from that snake. Speaking of snakes, you didn't think, many of you have already heard about the snake down the road there. But uh, I was in my office yesterday before prayers, about 6.15. We have, pre- uh, we have corporate prayer here at 6.30. About 6.15, Tom come running to my office. He said, Pastor. There's a big old snake under your truck, probably four or five foot long. I said, what? I jumped up. We ran outside, and we got there just in time. I didn't see the whole thing. All I saw was a big old black tail working its way up into my, un, underneath my truck into my motor compartment. He, got, he went up in my truck. Me and Tom are looking at each other. Did you see it? I said, yeah, I saw some of it. I said, what kind of snake is it? Poison? I don't know. I don't know. So I was kind of nervous. We looking around underneath there. We didn't know if he's going to jump out on us, you know. Didn't see him anywhere. I opened the door, and uh, he said, cut on the engine. I cut on the engine, see if it would run it out of there. Nothing. So I popped the hood, did one of these numbers here, and threw the hood open. We looking. You know, my hood's up kind of high, and I'm trying to look over there. Can't, we can't see him anywhere. We sit there and let the engine heat up. We figured out we'd run him out, nothing. I said, well, Tom, I'm going for a ride. I shut the hood down. I left up out of the parking lot looking in the rearview mirror, seeing if he dropped out of there. I drove about three, four miles. I went all the way down around the road there and come back up 51, doing 50 mile an hour. Probably people thought I was crazy. I was driving like this, trying to shake him loose. <laughs> nothing. Come back in here, drove around the backside over there. And was coming, well, I, was, I ended up over there in the front. And then Donnie Diggs, I don't know how many of you know Donnie Diggs, but he's a mechanic that works in the back of the building here. He drives up. He said, I heard you got a snake in your truck. I said, man, the news travels fast around here. <laughs> and I said, yeah. I said, I can't get him to come out. 
He said, let me take a look. He got out, and we opened the, the hood again, and he had these special flashlights. As a, and he's kind of he's scary, too. And he was looking and trying to see. And finally, he was looking in the front grill, and he saw it. Right at, inside the grill there on this side of the radiator. And we were trying to figure out how to get him out of there, and we didn't know how. So he said, let me go get my tool. So he had a little tool to pop the little plastic things, and we took the plastic piece off. And I had a golf club in the back of my truck, and we were... And, and I saw, and I looked over, and I was very careful, and I was looking over, and I saw his tail, and I thought he was curled up on the other side over there. I was fixing to poke him, and I looked down, and his head was on this side. My head was right over his head, and he was up there looking at me. And I knew he was long then because he went from one end of the truck to the other. But we started trying to poke him out of there, and he wouldn't move, and then he got up under there somewhere and it disappeared again. We didn't know what we was going to do. Donnie Diggs didn't know what to do. <laughs> if Donnie Diggs don't know what to do, I don't know what to do. Donnie Diggs knows everything. So I said, I'm going to drive around the building a couple more times and see what happened. So I got in my truck, drove around the building, then I got to the back end over there, and uh, I said, well, maybe if I jump my front tires up on the curb a couple times, I'll bounce him out of there. So I'd, and I'm doing that. I'm bouncing up and down on the curb. And then I finally backed up and he didn't come out. So I started to drive off again. I looked in my rear view mirror and I saw him on the street. He done come out and he was going across the street. And so I slammed on the brakes and I got out and went back there to take a look at him. And I got something I want to show y'all tonight. It's this flower arrangement, and uh, I, wanted, I wanted to mention that June, we're going to have people cut flowers and be able to put them along the altar and stuff here if y'all would like. So if you've got a, like a garden in your backyard or something you want to bring, cut and put in a vase and, and we'll spice things up, I thought that I was just praying and came to me. Y'all didn't think I had the snake in here, did you? We ain't handled snakes in years. That was, that was a long time ago. But it, I never did get to prayer. I got to prayer like three minutes left in prayer. But sometimes it takes more in prayer to deal with the snake. You know what I mean? Huh? Snakes come in pairs? Well, I think all the problems began in the Garden of Eden when Adam allowed that snake in in the first place. So tonight's message is entitled Part 7, and probably the last part, Snakes in the garden. Snakes in the garden. You're already in Nehemiah. Flip the page and go to Nehemiah 13, verse 6. Now, from when they had the dedication of Jerusalem's wall, after they got all that done, they built the wall, and Nehemiah got everybody straight. Well, you remember he was a cupbearer for the king of Babylon, Artaxerxes, so he had to go back to work for a little while. I'm not sure how long he was gone, probably a year or two, but this is the account of when he came back, Nehemiah 13, 6. Now, he's, he set them up. They got the walls. He's told them what to do, and they are made vows, and they've had all this excitement and, and had the two choirs coming in, so everything is good, right? In verse 6, he says, I was not in Jerusalem at that time, for I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked for permission to return. 
when I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Elishabib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyard of the temple of God. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, when they were building the wall, Tobiah was one of the guys that was their mortal enemy. Sanballat and Tobiah were the two said, they laughed at them. Y'all can't build that wall. The fox will knock that wall down. You remember? And then they started writing letters against them to the king, trying to get them in trouble for doing it. Then they even off, they threatened violence against them for building the wall. So these were mortal enemies. And Nehemiah leaves for a short time, and he comes back. And this Elishabib is the priest. He has allowed an enemy of God not only in the walls, but he set him up a little crib in the temple. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? Talking about letting a snake back in the garden. He says, I became very upset and threw all Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Nehemiah gave Tobiah the old heave-ho, set his stuff out on the street. <laughs> but that ain't all. Just in this short time, Nehemiah also found that the priests weren't getting paid. He found that the singers in the praise team weren't singing in the temple anymore. They had all had to go back to get a job because nobody was paying their salaries anymore. They weren't taking care of the house of God. And to top it off, the people had begun to neglect the Sabbath altogether. Now, the Sabbath was when they met together back in those days. It was on a Saturday back then. We would call our day of the Lord on a Sunday now. But they weren't paying the preacher. They weren't paying the praise team. And they weren't even meeting together. I guess if without a good preacher or a praise team, they weren't meeting together. The church was about to close down in Jerusalem just a few years later. Isn't that sad? When they had just opened, dedicated the walls and, and got all excited about everything, it shows you how quick things can change if you don't pay attention to those snakes. Nehemiah 13, verse 19 says, Nehemiah says, I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening, not to be opened until the Sabbath ended. Like I said, their Sabbath was on a Saturday, so Friday evenings, he said, shut the gate. Because people were coming in there buying and selling. Same thing that made Jesus mad. You made my house a den of thieves. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gates so that no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with their variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I spoke sharply to them. And I said, what are you doing out here? Camping around the wall. If you do this again, I'll arrest you. And that was the last time that they came on the Sabbath. Now we spent some time a couple weeks ago talking about not being unequally yoked. And the people had agreed that they wouldn't do that anymore. He comes back in Nehemiah 13, 25, and he finds that they had begun to intermarry with the pagans, the unbelievers again. And what fellowship has light with darkness? He says, so I confronted them. <laughs> this gets really a little bit crazy here. And he called down curses on them. I beat some of them. <laughs> And pulled out their hair. Now, I don't know why we can't do that in the churches today, but 
But I might get somebody's attention. Might get me whooped. But anyway, he said, I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with pagan people of the land. He said, wasn't this exactly what King Solomon of Israel entered into sin? He said, there was no king from any nation could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign wives. You can't just marry an unbeliever and think it's not going to affect your Christian walk. Most people that want to get married to an unbeliever, they think, well, I'll, I'll be stronger than them. But sin is contagious and holiness is not. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully towards God by marrying foreign women? Then one of the sons of Jehoiada, I guess that's how you say it, say it son of Elishabib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat the Horonite. So I banished him from my presence. So both Tobiah and Sanballat, the enemies of God, had both wormed their way back into the church. Isn't that crazy? One of them married the high priest's uh, son, his daughter. See, we're all excited when we get saved. But give it a couple months. <laughs> In Psalms 51.10, I thought it would be appropriate to read this scripture from King David. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. See, that sounds like a man that's full of the joy of the Lord. That sounds like a man that's a man after God's own heart, which the Bible says he was. But do you know when that was written? That was written in his back slidden to the max time of his life. That was right after he had slept with another man's wife and had the man killed. He's, he's remembering, Lord, return to me the joy of my salvation because I didn't let it slip. Create a clean heart in me because I didn't let it get dirty. Renew a loyal spirit in me because I didn't forgot all of my loyalty to you. Don't banish me from your presence, and please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. See, he knew what was important, but he had lost sight of some things. Say amen if you believe it. Jesus told his disciples, he said, all of you shall fall away. So we're all susceptible, right? You remember that night, they all fell away. Even Peter, who was bragging that he never would. No one in this room, including myself, or no one in all the church in America or around the world is immune from backsliding. What have we been saying Dr. J. Vernon McGee said, eternal vigilance is the price of Christian liberty. You got to keep your eyes open. You got to be paying attention to your Christianity. You can't put it on cruise control. If you lose the joy of his lordship, my friend, you're going to be on a slow fade. And it ain't as slow as we'd like sometimes. It can be just a short period 
from you can be up here with the Lord, and by the end of the day, you can say, what Lord? You know how fickle you are as a human being. You can wake up in a good mood, but after, before you even get to work, you're already cussing the boss. We have to have eternal vigilance if we want to walk in the freedom that God has prepared for us. If you lose the joy of the Lord, you begin a slow fade. A little compromise here. A little presuming on God's mercy there. Oh, I'll be all right. God knows my heart. That's the problem. <laughs> well, my ways ain't that bad. You know, I'm better than so-and-so. I used to, me and, man, I know the Bible better than a preacher. I ain't read it in a couple months, but I remember most of it. I'll get back in church later. And you know what? You miss a, a time here. You miss a time there. It gets a lot easier to miss. And it's a slow fade. The devil isn't, he isn't trying to get you to go the whole way all at once. He isn't trying to get you to deny God right now. But he's just going to tempt you a little bit at a time. This is the little foxes that spoil the vine. He's always just moving that carrot. Come on over here a little bit more, a little bit more. Oh, you need to sleep late. You deserve it. You're working hard. You know, it's, I didn't want to say this, but Angie's looking at me as I'm saying you don't know, know what I'm going to say. But it's funny to me, I, I should have looked up how many hours in a week. Does anybody know? 24 times 7, what is that? It's a lot of hours. Huh? 168 hours a week? 24 hours a day. But when somebody needs rest and they're just worn out, it always has to be, they always have to take it from those two hours on Sunday. Have you noticed, I'm not going to be at church this Sunday, Pastor, I'm too tired. Out of all 168 hours, how many it is, it's always those two that's got to be the first to go. What's funny, did I say something? Is that right? What is backsliding? Does that mean you lose your salvation? I wrote it like this, a spiritual relapse. Falling back into the life that Christ saved you from. Letting the enemy broach your walls again. Letting the snake back in your garden. Or in your truck. Greg Laurie says backsliding is not just falling backwards, but it's also failing to go forward spiritually. If we're not moving forward in Christ, then we're naturally going backwards. In the Christian life, there's no standing still. There's no neutral in the, in the Christian car. And you're on an uphill slant. You got to be putting it in drive and you got to fight for what you believe. Signs of a slow fade that will lead to backsliding. I wrote a few things down. One of the things is self-confidence. Now when you got saved, you knew it wasn't about you at all. You was thankful for everything that Jesus did. Now that Jesus pulled you up out of the miry clay, set your feet on the solid ground, now you can pay the bills again and everything. And you're, you got a washing machine that works. Now you don't need him anymore. Oh, I'm good. I can do it myself. Lackluster prayer life. 
used to pray, cry before the Lord, pour out your heart. Now it's like, Lord, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. <laughs> you're not pressing into God the way you once were. You're not, you're not reading your daily devotionals. You're not reading the, the Word of God like you used to. You're not as excited talking to people about Jesus as you used to be. Another thing, you're keeping bad company again. And that will accelerate your slow fade. You go back to the people that got you in trouble in the first place. Or you just, you have a lot of idle time on your hands. You're not doing the things that you ought to do in your life. And what do they say? Idle hands is the devil's workshop or something like that? Idle mind? Yeah. Spending time in the wrong places. Okay, so maybe you're not back in the nightclubs like you used to be or whatever, but you're seeing just as bad stuff on your cell phone these days, or worse. You're seeing things, you're in wrong places, whether it's on your computer or physically, and it's affecting you, allowing idols back into your life. Those are things that compete for that space in your heart. You know, they, they want to... You know, you used to play golf so much that you didn't have time for church. Then you got saved and you were so excited, you know, and all that. And all you could think about was Jesus. But now you got to where you're playing golf so much again that you, can, you ain't even paying the bills at home. Or what, what is it to you for, uh, you went back to gambling or hunting and fishing became your main thing again. Like Peter said, I go a fishing, you know. He didn't let go completely of his past. He was like, in case I need to go back. And when... When he thought he had messed up in his Christianity, I go a-fishing. And you've gone back to some things. Another thing we should be watchful for is not having any accountability in our lives. You're not sharing what you're going through with anybody. You're starting to get embarrassed about the things you're going through and the things you're thinking. And now you won't tell anybody. You don't have any good Christian friends. You've kind of started hanging out with bad company now. And that cavalier attitude that says, begins to develop, says, God knows my heart. He knows I used to serve him. Like that song, what have you done for me lately? Turn to Jeremiah. We'll get out of Nehemiah for just a moment. Jeremiah was about 150 years. He's farther along in the Bible, but I think he came before Nehemiah. In actual time, about 150 years before. This is what led to the walls of Jerusalem being ransacked in the first place. Nehemiah 8, verse 4 says, Moreover, you shall say unto them, God's telling Jeremiah what to say to the Israelites, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back, Jerusalem, in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard, but they, they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into battle. Even the stork in the heavens know her appointed time, 
and the turtle dove and the swift and the swallow observe the time of their coming. God says, but my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. They've lost the fear of God. They don't care that they'll be judged. They're just consumed with the here and now and what the flesh wants. And I can tell you what happens to a backslider. A backslider is probably the most miserable person on the planet. It may seem enjoyable to go back to your old return, like a dog returning to your vomit at first. Maybe it tastes good to you, I don't know, but a backslider quickly begins to lose that joy that's supposed to be his strength. It won't take long, he's lost all desire to serve the Lord. He'll begin to lose his rewards in heaven. What do I mean? We're supposed to be saving up treasure in heaven. If we really understood that we're going to be in heaven for billions and billions and billions of years and beyond, for all of eternity, and what we do in our 70 or 80 years that we're given here on this earth matters in the scope of eternity, I think we would value the time that we have been given. Every second would be precious. We would be thinking about what can I do because it's going to matter 7 billion years from now in my life. But they lose sight that one day they'll be judged for the works that they did or the lack of works that they did in their body for the Lord Jesus. David Wilkerson, he said, you're a ticking time bomb to be around if you're backslidden. And he was talking about Jonah. You remember Jonah was running from the Lord, and he was on that ship, and he was like a ticking time bomb for them because the, God sent a tempest after them. And they were all going to die because Jonah was on the ship. They had to throw Jonah off the ship so that they could survive. And I want you to know, if you're backslidden, you're a danger to those people around you because you're bringing in situations in your life that are going to affect others. You don't sin in a vacuum, especially a Christian. You're sin. You're living in a glass house for the Lord. Your sin is going to affect a multitude of people down the line. You can think of people that should be here right now that used to be giants in the faith that are not here. And it, is, it has affected you that your brothers and sisters have, have stopped running their race. You begin to reap the wages of sin again. You forgot about those, didn't you? You just remember the good old days. I remember being drunk, and it was fun. You forgot, you know, bowing before the porcelain god afterwards. You're going to get chastised by the Lord because he chastised every son that he received. He loves you too much to let you go on unabated and unpunished for your sins. He, he's going to try to get your attention. And believe me, that's not something you want. How quickly we can lose our rep reputation that has taken us so long to build. Our position that we had in the kingdom of God and our witness for the Lord. For the Lord. What a sad thing. Nobody wins when you backslide. The only person that will claim victory when you backslide is the devil. Nobody your family, your loved ones, 
you, the kingdom of heaven, all losers. And the, and the worst thing I think to be a, be a backslider would seem like to me would be to lose fellowship with God. That now you're ashamed to come, you can't come boldly before the throne of grace in your time of need anymore. You know fellowship is broken by sin. How do we run these snakes off? Make sure that no snakes get in our garden. That our walls stay strong and tall. That the enemy can't get back in and set up a crib in our temple. There's a lady named Mary Fairchild. She gave ten examples of how to avoid backsliding. I thought I would mention them. Number one, examine your faith life regularly. You have to examine yourself. You don't just put it on cruise control, remember? You've got to take an honest look. Take those rose-colored glasses off for a minute and say, what am I really doing? Well, I've been saying a lot, God knows my heart. Okay, well, let's look at that heart. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. It says, test yourselves. Number two, if you find yourself drifting away and when you examine yourself, well, come back immediately. Make a quick turn. Turn back immediately. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Number three, come to God daily for forgiveness. Remember, I've talked a lot about that theology going around where you don't have to repent anymore because once you were saved and you were forgiven for all sin for all eternity and you don't need to repent. Well, that's the doctrine of devils. Turn to God daily and keep the relationship, nothing between you and God. Make sure you repent. Ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. See, if you find yourself backslidden right now, there's 1 John 1, 9. There's a way home. There's a father looking over the hill for his prodigal son or daughter to come home. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So get back right and get back quick. Number four, continue Daily seeking the Lord with your whole heart. 1 Chronicles 28.9 says, Serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. He knows your heart. Don't hide it from him. Don't act like you're good, like you're fooling God. Seek him and get back right. Stay in the word of God, number five. Keep studying and learning daily. Proverbs 4.13 says, hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Now, if the Bible says it is your life, I believe it is your life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he says, partake of me. This is your spiritual nourishment. And I bet if we were to do a poll and somehow get an honest answer from every so-called Christian in America, how many read their Bible on a daily basis, I bet it would be less than 10% of the Christian population. And we've got a malnourished church. We don't even know how to answer the enemy. The devil's probably not even scared of us when he should be. Jesus knew how to say it is written, but we don't. 
I know all the ragtag excuses why I can't understand the King James and so on. Well, there's a lot of other ver- there's a lot of other versions of the Bible. If you cared enough, you would read it. I learned from the King James. That's what I cut my teeth on because it was important to me. Get in the Word of God. It is your nourishment to speak. Feed your spirit. If you're getting weak, it's because you're not feeding yourself. He's also, he says, if you uh, hunger or thirst after righteousness, you shall be filled. All right. Number six, stay in fellowship often with other believers. Like, Like you guys are so good at. Before and after the service, man, it's like we're here an hour before and an hour after. I love that. You know, some, some people want to cut off the lights on them and run them out. But no, I'm like, I want to stay here with you. I love to see you guys fellowshipping with one another. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. And that was written, what, 2,000 years ago, and they thought it was near then? How much nearer are we now? Galatians 6 1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some kind of sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. We have a responsibility to help one another. If you see a brother backsliding, that's why we're trying to set up these men's and women's groups and such. You know, so that somebody will check on somebody, so that somebody will show that they care. And we could help one another. There's always something to do in the church, I can assure you. You say, I don't know what to do in the church. I don't have, a, that, I don't have anything that I can do. You can go tell somebody Sunday when you come to church how they missed Wednesday. What they missed Wednesday and encourage them. There's always somebody you can help. You can seek out people to minister to. To bring somebody under your wing and bring them up. Number seven, stand firm in your faith. Number eight, persevere. Number nine, run the race to win. I don't know about you, but I like winning. I hate losing. I am not giving my all to Jesus Christ so I can come in second place. I can be some second-rate Christian. I'm just, oh, I, I'm sorry. That is not in my nature. I don't believe in participation trophies. I believe in creating a desire to win in people. I believe our God is a, a warrior. He's a conquering king, and he wants us to be at like him. He wants us to get the job done. Run the race to win. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. See, we know why we're running. It keeps us on the track. Number 10, remember what God has done for you in the past. How many times he's brought you through. Don't just take that for granted. And I love him. And I can just sit and start remembering the way I used to be and how he saved me from myself from the destruction I was bringing in my life, and I, tears just fill my eyes. And I can just want to drop to my knees and worship him 
You keep an attitude like that, like Brother Gary always said. Three things keep you from backsliding. Living in the Word, worshiping with your life, and praying without ceasing. Always keeping that line of communication open with God. So if you're backslidden, just come back to God. Take decisive action like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah didn't play. We're living in serious times. This is serious stuff. I know I joke and make light of things, try to get you laughing so I can give you your medicine. But it's serious times we're living in, and these things that we're, we're speaking, the whole church should be here to hear this. Because we're all susceptible to want to just coast for a while or let our life get out of balance so that we're just spinning out of control. And, we, and sometimes it sneaks up on us. Sometimes it isn't our fault. Well, it's our fault, but we weren't ready for what the, the world threw at us next. So we always have to be vigilant so we can live in the Christian freedom. But Nehemiah didn't play. He spoke sharply against those who were coming against the Christian faith or the life of faith. He put Tobias' stuff on the curb. He pulled out the backslider's hair. He cursed them. He beat them. Ain't that something? But he banished the snakes from, his, from the garden. He knew how important it was. If you ever had snakes in your truck. I get to that. But don't lock the doors of your house only to give the burglar the key. No, don't make any sense. We talked about Abraham Sunday, and uh, Abraham was a man of faith and all that. But the first covenant that God cut with Abraham, he told Abraham to get some lambs and stuff and split them in half and lay them out, and some birds and lay them out and let the blood trail go through the middle. And we know later that God came down as a smoking fire pot and went through the, the blood, and he, he cut blood covenant with Abraham. But after Abraham cut the animals up and laid them out, it wasn't dark yet, and he's waiting for God to come, and God hadn't come yet, and vultures started coming down trying to take the meat. Well, Abraham didn't just sit there to wait for his covenant to be fulfilled. He started shooing the, the vultures away. He spent hours out there getting the vultures off the covenant that he, would, that he was signing with God. And that's what we have to do. We don't have the fullness of our covenant yet, but until then, we got to shoo the vultures away and make sure the enemy has no part in this. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin may lose its power in our life. We're no longer slaves to sin. That old man that we used to be, we got to keep him in the tomb. we got to keep him buried so that we can live in the newness of life. Don't let him raise his head back up. You know, Tom was my watchman on the wall yesterday. Isn't it funny? That snake could have been up my truck. I could have drove it home. It could have gotten a house with it. I don't know. What's the chances of Tom being out there and seeing a snake by my truck? Well, it's pretty good because God watches out for me. And God's given me a, a good mate like Tom who watches out for me. Tom is a good watchman. 
He's a watchman for a lot of people in here. He's a watchman for this church. And he saw the snake, brought it to my attention so that I could deal with it. And that's what we got to do for each other. Don't just ignore the snake. You don't just let a snake in your car and you know, you know what happened? That thing will hide. And, you know, it was Monday that I got up under there to change the oil. What if that snake would have been there then? That would have been kind of scary. I mean, I got about this much area. I'm just crawling under there and there's a big snake. Okay, great. But no. God put me a watchman on the wall. We need to watch out for each other. If you see snakes entering into anybody's car around here, so to speak, snakes in anybody's life, somebody coming over their wall, go to them. Say, hey, I noticed you ain't been coming to church like you used to. You've lost some of your fire, man. What can we do? Let's get together and let's, let's get you excited about the things of God again. I noticed that you, you ain't talking like you used to. Anyway, so I drove up the curb a couple times. I guess it must have bounced him loose. When I drove off, I looked back and I saw him in my rearview mirror. About six foot long. Tom was underestimating. I slammed on the brake and got out and I wanted to go look at him. And when I got close to him, I realized he wasn't feeling too good. I think I must have run over him with my back tire when he, when he fell out. And so he just kind of ambled his way over to the curb and was going up against the curb and he wanted to get away from us but he didn't really seem like he had much energy to get away from us donnie diggs come over there and we looking at him he's looking up what kind of snake it is another guy come over there should we kill it should we kill it or not and uh then all of a sudden it opened his mouth real big and i said look it's trying to intimidate us but no i noticed it was it was it was choking and then choked up some blood and the poor thing was dying and so I went over there and I found a spare tire on the back of the building and I put it out of his misery now, if you like snakes or whatever and you're environmentalist or whatever I'm sorry but <laughs> the snake had breached my wall <laughs> and I had the welfare of the church in mind too I I didn't want him in one of your cars. I didn't want him back there with the children playing basketball. So, and you know what? When you let snakes in your house, in your life, you are endangering those people that you love. You think, well, I'm just sinning by myself. Nobody sees me watching this pornography, but you're, you're allowing snakes in the house, spiritual snakes. Be careful. We can't see in the spirit world. We don't know exactly what's going on. But I can tell you, there's snakes. God cursed the snake in the Garden of Eden. He said there will always be enmity between you and man. You'll strike at his heel, but he'll crush your head. That's what I did yesterday. I took that tire and crushed his head. But I can tell you this, I am taking it very seriously that a snake got up in my trunk. And it's causing me to examine my spiritual walk. Because I can get up here and preach a good message, but I got to watch myself too. 
Are you saying anything to me, God? Are you examining yourself? We all have to watch. God will speak to you if you will let it, if you will listen. Always examine yourself. Judgment begins where? At the house of God. The world don't care anything about judging. They ain't even thinking about judging. Hosea 14.1 says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to our idols we have made that you are gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. And this is what the Lord says if you'll just have a humble heart and come back to him like that. Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love knows no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. So it's been a good, yeah, yeah, New King James, I'm reading it out of the New Living. So it's been a good journey through the book of Nehemiah. Man, God is so wonderful that just in one book in the Old Testament can bring so many Relevant truths to light here in the New Testament church. See how opening the word of God will help you walk this life out and keep the snakes out of your garden. So make the decision to go all in is what I learned in the book of Nehemiah. Rebuild the walls of your life. Don't let them stay down and let the enemy just come and go and do what he pleases. And then put processes in your life once you have your walls built to make sure that they aren't breached again. Put watchmen. Do the things. Make the vows. Assemble together. Read the word. Worship. Do the things that the people of God did to supposedly keep the wall impenetrable. And then if you find yourself backsliding like they did, be quick to repent and come back home. Be diligent, steadfast. And let's keep those snakes out of our garden. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.